wanna fight for a cause If I get to know my purpose I don't know if I'll like it or not God, I know that you're the answer When I'm searching my mind, I forgot When I'm walking through the fire I just look toward the light when it's hot You say your plans for me, to my mess to a melody. You got good plans for me. I know what my stance will be. I got strength as you stand for me. Yeah, you got good plans for me. Well, good morning, church family. It is so good to be with you guys today. If you are new here, I know you just heard Lauren introduce me, but let me introduce myself. My name is Pete. I serve as the lead pastor alongside my wife, Kelly, and on behalf of our entire staff, we just want to tell you how grateful we are that you decided to spend the first part of your day and your week here with us. We trust your experience so far has been one that has left you with uh, just a taste of God's presence, his love, his joy. We hope that you have tasted enough to want to come back and be a part of the family that God is growing here at Life Church Buffalo Welcome to those of you tuning in online as well. It's great to have you with us today. As we continue our series, we are in part two of a series called Bury Your Ordinary, based on this book right here by the same title, written by Justin Kendrick. As we are talking about some practical spiritual habits that will help our hearts become fully alive. Uh, Last week, we talked about the recovery of passion. Today, we're going to dive into the first of seven habits that will really uh, begin putting a pattern in place that will help our passion for God uh, become more of a reality and at the center of our lives. The author talks about the first three habits of the book as being centering habits, he calls them. Habits that will help Jesus be the center of our lives. If you're taking notes and uh, you want to write this down, the title of the message today is, I Will Make Room. I Will Make Room. The truth is we live at a time in history that is busier than ever. There is no shortage of things uh, that are calling for and demanding our time and attention to them. Time is our most valuable resource. Time is extremely limited. None of us know exactly how long we have on this earth, but every day we wake up is 24 hours less that we have to enjoy the life that God has given us and to make a difference with this life. Time is also the great equalizer. You know, when it comes to money, um, we all have different amounts, right? But when it comes to time, from the richest to the poorest, we all wake up with the same 24 hours in that day to decide how we want to spend that day. And so in preparation for this message, I looked up uh, a survey that explains and details how the average American spends the 24 hours that we all have in a given day. What's called the American Time Use Survey, put out by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And this is what they found. This was as of, I believe, 2022. Survey showed that the average American spends eight hours and 33 minutes every weekday sleeping. On the weekends, it jumps to nine hours and 28 minutes. After that, the largest chunk of our 24 hours goes to work. Most of us have a 40-hour work week, others more, some work overtime, others have multiple jobs, but it says that 89% of the people with full-time jobs spends an average of eight and a half weekday hours every week at work, each day. 
31% work an average of five hours and 24 minutes on the weekends. After that, it also looked at some of the students who, you know, spend more time at school than we do at work. And even after school, it said that boys study about three hours and 37 minutes a day, and girls study an average of two hours and 29 minutes a day. And then there's household activities. Surveys showed that Americans spend, on average, about 18 minutes a day on house cleaning, 11 minutes a day doing laundry, 34 minutes a day preparing meals and cleaning up after meals, 14 minutes a day doing indoor and outdoor home repairs, things like snow blowing the driveway, mowing the lawn, stuff like that. And those who are in charge of their household finances, uh, paying the bills and stuff, spend about 45 minutes a day working their financial magic. Then there's leisure activities. And there was a whole host of subcategories under leisure activities, but it says that the average American spends five hours and 16 minutes a day engaged in leisure activities. Watching TV is the biggest chunk of that. Showed that the average American spends two and a half hours, actually two hours and 48 minutes every day consuming content coming from their television. Social media was almost tied for that at two and a half hours a day. Then there's socializing. We all want to hang out with friends. And so we spend an average of 38 minutes a day participating in social activities. Then there's exercise and sports. We all know how important it is to keep our bodies physically healthy. It showed that men spend an hour and 42 minutes working out or playing sports, whereas women spend about an hour and 18 minutes a day working out or playing sports. Then there's eating, right? We need to eat to live. Studies show that the average person spends about an hour and 11 minutes a day eating and drinking. Then there's shopping. We spend an average of 46 minutes a day grocery shopping and 50 minutes a day shopping for other things, which I think Amazon probably, you know, consumes the, the majority of that content. And then there's those of us who have kids. Parents have to spend some time caring for their children. Those that have a child under the age of six spend the most amount of time caring for children, understandably so. The younger kids have greater needs and need more help from their parents. And so it's two hours and nine minutes a day for kids six and under that parents spend caring for their kids. And between men and women, women carry the larger majority of the time spent caring for kids. Men, it's one hour and 18 minutes a day. Women, two hours and 49 minutes a day. For parents of children between the ages of six and 12, the time goes down, but it's still 41 minutes a day for men and an hour and 18 minutes a day for women. Parents with children between ages 6 and 17 years old, on average, spend six minutes a day going to school plays, baseball games, soccer games, or other functions. And then they're spending time with our non-human companions. Those of us have pets spend 45 minutes a day walking, exercising, or playing with our pets. And then there's some other miscellaneous stuff that the survey showed. 51 minutes a day grooming, nine minutes a day checking text messages, sending emails, going through our mail that we get, uh, 90% of which is usually junk mail, and we throw it in the garbage. But clearly, the survey proves what we already know to be true, that there is no shortage of things that we can give our time to. We lead busy lives, and it has produced this can't stop, won't stop mentality. You've probably heard that phrase before. I, I can't stop. I won't stop. There's too many places to go, people to see, things to do. Can't stop, won't stop, to me, has become a, a phrase that captures or encapsulates the ethos of our day. 
Our culture has accepted and has promoted this idea that can't stop, won't stop is the philosophy that every person needs to live by. That successful people can't stop and won't stop if they really want to get ahead in life. I can't stop. I won't stop because if I do stop, I'll actually have to deal with the stuff that's going on in my heart that I have worked too hard and too long to suppress and ignore. And I don't have time to unpack all the stuff going inside my heart and in my head. Can't stop, won't stop. How many of you are familiar with the old Greek mythology story of Odysseus? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Not many of you. Um, If you don't know about it, let me kind of tell you about it. Odysseus was a Greek figure, this, you know, um, this brave soldier that returned from the battle of Troy and was warned by one of the Greek gods that on their journey home, they were going to pass by this island that was known to have these, uh, these creatures known as sirens that would sing this beautiful song that would cast a spell upon those who heard it and make them want to, you know, come to the island where really the goal of the sirens was to kill those who came there. And so... Heeding the warning of the god, Odysseus collects some beeswax and distributes it to all of his, uh, the men on his ship and tells, it to, tells them to soften the beeswax and put it in their ears so they won't hear the song of the sirens. But Odysseus was curious and wanted to know about this song. He actually wanted to hear and experience the song. So he gave his, his crew instructions to tie him to the main mast of the ship And regardless of how he reacted or what he said or what he did, just to keep rowing and not pay any attention to him. And so they followed his instructions. They put beeswax in their ears. They tie him to the mast of the ship. And when they came across the island, he heard the song. And instantly he fell under the spell of these sirens and desperately wanted to go see who these beautiful creatures were that were singing this irresistible song. And so he's thrashing and trying to get the attention of his crew to let him loose so they they can move to the island. But they just kept rowing and rowing and rowing until they reached a safe distance from the island where the song was no longer heard. Then they took the beeswax out of their ears and untied Odysseus and they made it home safely. Now clearly it's a fable, it's a story, it's a myth. But I think that in this story contains a lesson that has become a truth that has been deeply ingrained into our cultural psyche. And that, that truth is this, is that we can, we can hear the song of the culture, we can hear the sound and not fall victim to the consequences of it as long as we are cunning enough and smart enough and and shrewd enough and plan enough to, you know, get some work around so that we can hear the beautiful song but not fall victim to the consequences. And we think that we can buy into this, you know, can't stop, won't stop pace of life and not experience the consequences of an unsustainable, untenable pace of life where we are two full schedules, two full brains without falling victim to being a slave to our schedule. We think we can keep going this way without experiencing the consequences of can't stop, won't stop. Might help you build a business, but is it worth it if it costs you your marriage? Can't stop, won't stop. Might help you buy a really nice house, but is it worth it if you can't fall asleep 
in your beautiful bed at night because your mind won't stop ruminating over all of the things that you didn't get done that day that you know will be waiting for you the next day. Can't stop, won't stop, will leave you empty, tired, and anxious. Which proves what Peter Scazzaro, the author of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, writes when he says, you cannot live at warp speed without warping your soul. But I think that's probably indicative of the way many of us live our lives. We're constantly going at warp speed, ignorant of the fact that our soul is being warped in the process. The crazy pace we are running at is actually drowning out the opportunity for us to grow in our faith and in our relationship with Jesus. So what are we going to do about it? If the things that we give our time to on a daily and weekly basis are a reflection of our priorities in life, what does that say about the priority you've placed on a relationship with Jesus? When you look at the amount of time that we spend to all of those things I listed in the beginning of the message, how much time do we actually spend developing our relationship with the Lord? See, last week we talked about the power of pattern in our lives, that our lives are being shaped by the patterns that we have adopted and that we live by. And that if we want to ignite our passion for God, we need to adjust the pattern of our lives because the pattern that we follow will overrule the conviction that we profess with our mouths. Many of us profess to know and love and follow Jesus, but the hurried patterns of our life don't support that profession. Our can't-stop-won't-stop pattern of busyness has trumped and overrules our professed love for Jesus. We say we love Jesus. We say he's the, the most important thing in our lives, but the amount of time we spend developing relationship with him doesn't even come close in comparison to the other things that we give our time to because that is the pattern of our life. We have a can't-stop-won't-stop pattern that doesn't leave room for a relationship with God. And we wonder why we feel so distant from God. Could I suggest to you that the distance we feel has nothing to do with God? He has been right there all along, knocking on the door of your heart, waiting for you to slow down enough, still yourself enough to actually hear his voice and invite him in. And that is what I want to talk to us about today. Habit number one is relationship. Relationships, spending regular time alone with God, developing our relationship with God. See, any and every relationship in your life takes time to deepen, right? If I were to tell my wife, Kelly, say, honey, I really want to deepen our relationship together. I want to have greater levels of intimacy and I want to have a strong marriage, but I only have an hour a week on Sundays to give you. I've got too many other things going on in my life and that's really all I have to give you. How many of you know our relationship wouldn't get very deep if that's what I told her? I don't know that we would even be married if I said, you only got an hour a week because these other things are just too important. I mean, if we give an hour a week to anything, none of us should expect to really, you know, grow in that area of our life. And similarly, in our relationship with God, if we're only giving an hour a week at church on the weekends where it's convenient or when we feel like it and when the weather's just right, it's no wonder most of us keep falling back into the same patterns of habitual sin. 
It's no wonder we feel so distant from God and we feel like our relationship with him is just lacking any kind of fire or passion. We just, we're lukewarm. Because if church is the only time you're spending with Jesus, one hour a week, you have to ask yourself, have I really patterned my life after the one that I claim to be following? If we want to be close to God, we have to understand it's never going to happen accidentally. Nobody stumbles into a deep, close, personal relationship with Jesus. Nobody ever wakes up one day and just says, hey, I don't know how it happened, but I was just like kind of going through the motions, you know, doing my can't stop, won't stop pace of life. And all of a sudden I woke up one day and man, I was close to God. I understood the Bible. I was a powerful prayer warrior. Nobody ever said that. It won't happen by accident. We have to intentionally pattern our lives to facilitate relationship with Jesus. And until we slow down and adjust our pattern, deep relationship with God is not possible. As John Mark Comer writes, he's the one that wrote The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, a book that I mentioned to you about a month ago. He says, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. So many of us say we want more of God's peace and his presence and his joy in our lives. I want more of Jesus. I want the abundant life that Jesus came to bring me. But we aren't willing to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus that produces that. So what was the lifestyle of Jesus? I want to share a few verses with you this morning that will illustrate that a little bit. And But before I do, if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 1. While you're turning there, uh, let me just give you a little bit of context to what we're about to read. Mark's gospel is the shortest of all four gospel writers, gives the most condensed accounting of Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, He doesn't waste any time in introducing us to who Jesus is and the things that he did. And so Mark's gospel opens with, you know, John the Baptist baptizing Jesus in the Jordan River. Immediately after that, Jesus is tempted by the devil in the wilderness He comes out of that time preaching in Galilee, and uh, it it says that he heals a a demon-possessed man after he travels to a town called Capernaum, a town on the outskirts in the region of Galilee. He heals a demon-possessed man. Then he heals Peter's mother-in-law, and it says that news about him began to spread quickly throughout the region. Quickly. So this is really what we're about to read is kind of the tipping point of Jesus' public ministry. He's gone from being this obscure carpenter's son that steps into public ministry and not many people know about him. But after this point, he is a big deal. Like crowds flock to him everywhere as the news about his ability to heal sick people and do miracles spreads. So this is the tipping point in Jesus' life. And we read after these couple of miracles in Mark 132 that that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. So picture this. Jesus is at a house. The crowds, the whole town comes out to see him and present their their sick people that need to be healed. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. The next day, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So the whole town is showing up. People are getting healed. Revival is breaking out. 
And after a long, exhausting day of ministry, Jesus doesn't sleep in like I probably would do. Jesus instead wakes up early while it's still dark to get alone and spend time with his father. You see, Jesus here demonstrates for us a completely different view of life. See, when we look at our lives, we say, man, I am way too busy to spend time in prayer with God. I am too busy to read my Bible. But Jesus looks at his life and says, I am way too busy to not spend time in prayer. He understood that the demand that was being placed on him required that he get away, spend time with his father to reconnect with God, reorient his soul. I'm too busy to not pray. Such a radically different view of life. You see, Jesus, as a man, we know he was the son of God, but he was fully human. He modeled what it was like to pattern his life for relationship with his father by prioritizing prayer and spending regular time with his father. And this isn't the only time we see Jesus doing this either. There are dozens of verses throughout the gospels that tell us of Jesus constantly going away, getting alone to pray. Verses like Luke 5, 16, which says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It was Jesus' regular pattern to get alone and spend time with his father in prayer. And as Jesus' followers, shouldn't it be our goal to imitate his pattern? See, but in a world of nonstop busyness and entertainment and can't stop and won't stop, learning to just sit still long enough to hear his voice and spend time in his word and talk to him about our days, and express our concerns to him. Seems pretty difficult. It doesn't come easy, does it? And those of us that do spend regular time with God often do so out of a sense of duty or obligation than genuine desire to be with God. It's a checklist for us. We just, you know, want to check that box off of our to-do list for the day. And could it be that we have actually missed the whole point of spending time with Jesus, which is simply to be with him? Not check a box off your to-do list for the day? As the author of the book writes, he says, relationship with God is not about doing something for God or getting things from God, but rather about getting God himself. That's why we spend time with him. Because we want to be in his presence. We want to hear his voice. It's not to get things from him or to prove how, you know, worthy of his love we are. Look, Jesus, I did all these things. No, it's about getting God himself. The Christian life is built on the truth that God is not just the one who answers your deepest needs, but about understanding that he is your deepest need. As A.W. Tozer wrote, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The first thing that enters your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And if that's true, which I believe it is, then the biggest problem that you're facing in life today is not your debt, it's not your job, it's not your kids or your marriage. The biggest problem that you have in life right now is an inaccurate view of God. Because what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And everything that flows out of your faith life flows out of that that conviction of who you think God is. See, the great purpose behind spending regular time alone with God is to invite God in to your heart to help him reshape 
the vision you have of him in your heart and mind. See, we don't see him clearly, and until that changes, our relationship with him won't grow. See, nobody learns trigonometry or calculus in a quick 10-minute study. How can we expect to grow in our understanding of the creator of the entire universe by saying a quick two-minute prayer before we hurry off to work in the morning? It requires time for us to grow in our relationship with God. I want to read you a quick excerpt from page 61 of chapter 3 where he talks about this habit of relationship. He says, the challenge with knowing God is that he is not like anyone else you know. That is what the scripture means when it teaches that God is holy. He is set apart. He's different from everyone else in the world. To actually know him, you must intentionally and methodically reprogram your thoughts about him. Your natural thinking must be replaced with supernatural thinking. And as you begin to see God for who he really is, your view of him creates a lens through which all of life can be understood. An accurate view of God leads to exponential spiritual growth. Making time for beholding God is the key to becoming more like him. You've heard me talk about this in the past. It's one of my favorite principles to teach on. It's called the beholding and the becoming principle, which states that you will become like that which you behold. Or more simply stated, you will start to look like whatever you spend most of your time looking at. And so if our goal as followers of Jesus to become more and more like him, then it requires us to spend time looking at him, sitting at his feet, gazing at his beauty, spending time pouring at his word so we can gain a more proper view of who he is and learn what his voice sounds like. Because the more I spend time beholding him, the more I will become more like him. The more I will experience his joy, his peace, his patience, his love, his kindness, his goodness becomes more and more evident in our lives. The beholding and the becoming principle. In order to approach God, though, we have to understand that he, we have to internalize this truth, truth that he is approachable. Because the more clearly we see God, the more clearly we will understand ourselves and our place in this world. And so developing an accurate view of God is the key and the foundation for all spiritual growth. But we have to understand that if we're going to do this, then he actually is approachable because so many people, see, approach time in God's word or time in prayer very hesitantly or timidly because they either feel like God is angry with them and is going to judge them or that, you know, maybe they're not doing it right. And so we have this, this view that makes us shy away from doing what scripture tells us to do, which is to run boldly into the throne of grace. But many of us are kind of shrinking back because we're, we're nervous. We're afraid of God. But God's approachable. He wants relationship with us. And so before we, you know, Scripture teaches that before he is our, our king, our judge, you know, our ruler, he wants to be known as father. Jesus taught his disciples, when you pray, say, our father who art in heaven, which was a revolutionary concept when Jesus introduced it. See, the Jews were so afraid of God's holiness and his power that they wouldn't even vocalize the name of God. When they would spell it, they would leave out the vowels because it was too holy of a name to even write out. 
So when Jesus says, no, when you pray, I want you to say, Abba, Daddy, Father God. How much different would our prayer life look like if we were convinced that God was a loving Father who wants relationship with his children? How much different would it look? And I understand that for many of us, it's, it's a very difficult jump to make because the relationship you have with your earthly father is broken. Maybe you had an angry father. Maybe it was an abusive father. Maybe it was an absent father. But it was not a great example of somebody who was loving and caring and nurturing. And so for you to make the jump in your spiritual life to hear that God is your father, you're like, yeah, I had one of those and it wasn't a great experience. So there's a disconnect for you, but you need to understand that God is a perfect father who spared no expense to make relationship with you possible, which is why he sent Jesus, so that we could be reconciled to him and enjoy relationship with him. He is our father. God is calling each of us to a deeper level of relationship with him, but it requires that we just respond to the invitation. We've got to decide, I will make room for you. No one is going to do it for you. And so today, I want to make this really practical for us. Because if we want to grow in our relationship with God, then we've got to pattern our lives to make relationship with him priority. And so I want to encourage you to do three things. And I gave you these, these same three points in a message about a year ago. So this may sound familiar to you, but it's applicable. So I want you to pick a time, pick a place, and pick a plan. All right? Pick a time that you are going to spend with Jesus every day. Put it on your calendar, schedule it, and stick to the schedule. For me, I live by my calendar. If it's not on my calendar, it doesn't happen. So schedule your date times, your, your, your times where you're going to be with Jesus. Put it on your calendar and stick to it. And I'm going to strongly encourage all of us to make that time be the morning time, the first thing you do when you get up. Because this was Jesus' habit. And we're patterning our lives after Jesus. What did it say in Mark? It said, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. So if Jesus had a habit of praying in the morning, and we're patterning our lives after him, shouldn't this be our habit as well? I'm not sure how many of you are a morning person. How many of you are morning people? Less than half of you. Okay, so for those of you that say, heck no, I am not a morning person, this may be a little bit more of a challenge to you, but let me challenge you because here's the thing. Like, what's the first thing you do in the morning when you wake up? For most of us, it's like we get out of bed, you know, we go to the bathroom, we brush our teeth, and then we get dressed. All right, fine, skip that. Like, everyone has to do that when they first wake up. Then after that, what do most of us do? If you're like me, you make a pot of coffee. Like, some of you can't, function without having three or four cups of coffee, you know, by eight or nine o'clock in the morning. Fine. Thank Jesus for coffee, right? I'm, I love coffee. All right, but then after that, so you're dressed, teeth brushed, you know, you've got your coffee. Then what's the first thing you do? If you're like the majority of Americans, you pick this up and we start scrolling. Facebook, Instagram, text messages, news apps. I got to know what was happening in the eight hours I was sleeping. You know, 
What happened in the world? I can't stop. I won't stop, right? Got to find out what's going on. And we don't realize that this pattern is informing our hearts and it's training us what to think, what to feel, what to focus on, what we're going to do that day. And without knowing it, we get sucked right back into the vortex of can't stop, won't stop. And we wind up stressed out and anxious and far from God. What we don't realize is that what, what would it look like for us instead of picking this up after we make our coffee if we picked God's word up and we spent time with him in prayer? There's a picture in the Old Testament of this with manna. Those of you that aren't familiar with the biblical narrative, after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, God miraculously delivered the Israelites and brought them you know, across the Jordan River, across the Red Sea, and uh, before they entered the promised land that God had promised to give you know, their forefathers, they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness because of unbelief. And there was no food in the wilderness. And so God caused this miracle food to appear on the ground every morning called manna. It was this seed-like substance that they were given instructions to go out and collect very early every morning that they could then make into bread. And that would be their food for the day. But if they decided to sleep in one day because they were up late the night before, the manna would melt if, if they waited until it you know, was later in the day. As soon as the sun came up, the manna would melt and they would have no food for the day. See, this is a picture of our spiritual lives. Jesus is the bread of heaven, the bread of life. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And if we won't start our day by collecting the manna that God has for us, our spiritual substance, it melts and we wind up feeling distracted and less spiritually productive. We've got to collect the manna first thing in the morning so we can have the food that will sustain us throughout the rest of the day. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. There's something about what we do first thing in the morning that sets the tone for everything else that we do in the day. Seeking God first, spending time with God in prayer and in studying his word is an expression of our priorities that he is first in our lives. Psalm 5.3, David said, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. Listen, it's not that God won't answer your afternoon or evening time prayers. Every time you pray is a good time for prayer, but there's something about the morning that Jesus understood was so important to set the tone and course of the rest of your day as an expression to God that you are first. I need your voice before I hear any other voices. Jesus understood this and he modeled it for us. So when you commit to this, listen, don't rush through it. Linger with him. I wait expectantly for you, the psalmist said. This is not about checking a box on a version devotional plan or some to-do list that you have on your phone. This is about spending time with your father and realigning the vision you have of him in your heart. So if spending time with God is a completely new spiritual discipline for you, this is going to take some time to develop. So I would encourage you to start with just 15 minutes Listen, it is not a big ask to say, hey, I'm going to wake up 15 minutes earlier than I normally do. Because at the end of the day, we will make time for the things that matter most. And if you can't carve out 15 minutes, then your life is too full. Or a relationship with God is not really a priority to you. But one study I looked at said that if we will spend 15 minutes reading the Bible a day, five days a week, that results in 65 hours a year 
which check this out, is only 4% in comparison to the time we spend on TV or surfing social media. 4%, 15 minutes a day. Only 8% of the time that we spend looking at our phones. So anybody can do 15 minutes a day. Once you're in the habit of that, do that for a month, right? Let it become a habit. Then expand it to 30 minutes a day. I promise you that once you start this and you start to grow in your relationship with God, 15 minutes won't be long enough. And so you'll need 30 minutes. Once you're in the habit of doing that, maybe for a month, push it to 45 minutes. The author actually suggests his habit number one is to spend the first hour of your morning every day with God. Which for some of you, you think an hour? Oh my gosh, I have no margin in my life. I don't have time to spend an hour with God in the morning. And that's kind of the point. Like it should be disruptive. An hour is big enough to make it challenging where it changes your perspective on life and forces you to reprioritize things, but it's small enough where it's actually achievable. And I'm gonna be honest with you, like in reading that, I was convicted because I don't spend an hour a day with the Lord most days. There are some days where I do, some days where I just, I get lost in a passage of scripture or I spend time in worship and before I know it, man, 45 minutes has gone by, an hour has gone by, but most days it's 25 to 30 minutes in the morning before I head off to the gym. But man, reading this, I was convicted and the Lord is challenging me, Pete, do you really want more of my presence and and my power in your life? If you're willing to spend an hour and 15 minutes a day at the gym, Increasing your physical strength, are you willing to spend an hour and 15 minutes a day in my word so you increase your spiritual strength? So I'm just being transparent and vulnerable with you guys that this has challenged me. So wherever you're at in your journey with God, whether you're a brand new believer and you've never spent time reading and praying, start with 15 minutes. If you're in the habit of already doing a half hour each day, increase it to 45 minutes or an hour, but start somewhere. Any plan is better than no plan. And listen, let's, we don't have to be legalistic about this, okay? Make it a goal to spend at least 30 minutes a day. But understand that depending on where you're at in life, maybe you work overnights, maybe you're, you know, a mom of an infant who wakes up at 4 a.m., like, life is going to require some flexibility in this, but don't let your schedule be the excuse for not prioritizing time with God. Don't look at this as a legalistic obligation, but instead look at it as a sacred opportunity to connect with your father who wants to speak to you, all right? So pick a time, and then we gotta pick a place. Pick a place. It says that Jesus went to a solitary place where he prayed, where nobody could find him, where he could be alone, not have any distractions. You need to pick a place where you won't be distracted, where you can be alone with God. Maybe you have that place in your home. For me, in the warmer weather months, it's on the back deck of my home. We have a patio, covered patio with some nice patio furniture, a fire pit. And so even when it's cooler in the morning, you know, 45, 50 degrees, I put that fire pit on, I sit on the couch, I open my Bible, and I just spend time in his presence. Right now, I can't do that because it's really cold outside. And so I'll just sit on the couch um, that's along the backside of our house. It's got a big window, it faces the backyard. And before the kids wake up, before I go off to the gym, the house is quiet. I just spend some time with the Lord. What's that place for you? Is it the basement? Is it your favorite chair in your living room? Maybe you have an office. Maybe you don't have a spot in your house where you can be alone, where you won't be distracted. Maybe that means that you leave for work a half hour or an hour early and sit in your car in the parking lot so that you can be alone with God 
without distractions, which, listen, might mean that you have to leave this in your room or on the desk somewhere because this is the number one source of distraction for most people when it comes to spending time with God. I can't tell you how many times I've been spending time with Jesus when I'll get a notification that I open up and before I know it, I've wasted 15 or 20 minutes just surfing and scrolling social media. So put this away if it's a distraction or temptation to you, but pick a place where you can be alone with God without distractions and then we need to pick a plan. Pick a plan, especially if reading the Bible or praying is brand new to you. The author in the book gives two different acronyms uh, to help us discover different ways. He gives one acronym that gives you three different ways to read the scripture, which is important for us to reframe our view of God and really know who he is and learn what his voice sounds like. The other acronym gives you three different ways to pray. And I don't want to confuse you with adding more you know, adjectives or acronyms to what I've already given you in the past. So if you want to learn more about what the author suggests, I would encourage you to pick up the book and read it. I just want to remind you of some of the plans or patterns that I've given you in the past. The one is on our website. The prayer page of our website has a pray first prayer guide that literally gives you seven different patterns for prayer. Seven different ways to approach God in prayer, whether it be the tabernacle prayer or the Lord's prayer. There's seven different models for you to learn. It literally gives you a script and you just insert your name, you insert your situation and follow along. And the more you practice this plan or this pattern, the more prayer becomes something that you can grow in. So that I would encourage you to check out our website, download that PDF, print it out, have it on your phone. Maybe you prefer to use the YouVersion Bible app. It's a very popular app that will literally read scripture to you. There's a bunch of devotional plans where each day you'll have an excerpt of a devotional that will encourage you and build your faith that's coupled with some, you know, a couple of verses or a couple of chapters that you can read in scripture. For others of you, maybe you prefer the SOAP method. Pastor Beth introduced that to us a couple years ago. I reminded you of it last month at the beginning of Soul Detox. The soap method, you know, soaping the scriptures is, you know, you have your Bible, a pen, and a journal. And S stands for scripture. You read a passage of scripture, and you write down one verse from that passage that jumped out to you, that stood out to you. And then after that, the O is observation. What did you observe about what you just read? Who were the characters in it? What was happening? You know, what was the temperature or the, you know, the, the feel of it? What did you observe about it? The A then stands for application. Ask yourself and write down, how do I apply what I believe the Holy Spirit is revealing to me through this passage? How do I apply this to my life? And then P is prayer. You end your time of pouring over scripture where you've written one down, you've observed what's happening, you've, you've asked how to apply it to your life, and then you pray. You say, God, help me to live this out. Help me to grow my relationship with you. Help me to be a better reflection of what it looks like to follow Jesus. So that's the SOAP method. Last month, I also gave you the Lectio 365 app, which is my current personal favorite right now in this season of my life. It literally only takes 10 minutes to go through, but it follows the acronym of PRAY. If you were here last month, P is pause and be still. R is rejoice and reflect over a scripture. A is ask God for his help in your life. And then Y is yield to his will for you. And there's a morning and an evening devotional where someone will narrate these things to you and read this over you with some a backing track that's very relaxing. And then there's prompts at different points throughout it where it literally encourages you to pause the recording and to pray, to, to sit in that space for a little while. Tell the Lord what's going on in your heart. 
Ask him to reveal things to you. There's a morning and an evening one. It's, it's phenomenal. You can start your day and end your day with this. Even though it only takes 10 minutes to go through it, if you don't pause it, if you're pausing at every point where it tells you to spend more time in prayer, it'll easily be 30 minutes, if not longer, for you to spend that time. And again, if, if prayer is intimidating to you, if you've never prayed a day in your life and you're like, I don't, how, do, how do I talk to God? How do I hear his voice? Pick up this book. How to Pray, a simple guide for normal people, written by Pete Grieg, who's the guy that put out the Lectio 365 app. He's one of the leading authorities on prayer on this topic in our culture today. And I would strongly encourage you, if this is something, that if you want to pattern your life for a relationship with God, it won't happen without you praying and learning how to engage with the scriptures. And this book will help you do that in a very simplistic way. Pick a plan. Because if you will develop a pattern that facilitates relationship, not only will you gain a new perspective on life, but you'll also experience new power. I want to show you what happened to Jesus after he got alone very early in the morning to pray. The next verse, in verse 36, Simon and his companions went to look for him. They realized Jesus was gone. And they, when they found him, they exclaimed, Jesus, everyone is looking for you. And I love Jesus' response. It's almost like he doesn't acknowledge what Peter said to him. Everyone's looking for you. Look at what Jesus said. Let's go somewhere else. I know everyone wants more. They want more teaching. They want more miracles. Let's go to other towns, nearby villages, so I can preach there also. Because that is why I came. Peter started the day the way so many of us start the day. They're looking for Jesus, like, everyone's looking for you, Jesus. And so Peter, you know, opens his day's version of social media. What's everyone thinking? What's everyone doing? What's everyone saying? We're so concerned with everyone, everyone, everyone. But Jesus wasn't concerned about everyone. After spending time with his father, he gained energy and clarity to do what God called him to do. He said, let us go to other towns. There's the energy. For that is why I came. There's his clarity. There's his purpose. See, a lot of us want to know God's will for our lives. One of the number one questions Christians have is, how do I discover God's will for my life? I want to know what God has next for me. What does he want me to do? What job does he want me to take? What relationship should I be in or not be in? But a lot of us are lacking the energy to do what God has called us to do, and we're really foggy on clarity because we have not prioritized relationship with God with regular time in his presence. See, Jesus had to get away to get alone with God in order to understand what his father was wanting him to do next. So many of us succumb to the pressure of everyone, 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 and we don't know what God wants us to do next because we have not gotten alone and spent time in prayer. Jesus established the pattern. We need to follow it. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 5. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing with, by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. And to reemphasize the point, he repeats himself in verse 30 when he says, I can do nothing on my own. So many people read that and you're like, wait a second, you're Jesus. How in the world can you do nothing? You're the son of God. Why would Jesus say that? Yes, he was the son of God, but he was also the son of man. 
Jesus was fully human as a human. Not only did he need constant connection and communion with his father, he was also modeling it for us. If Jesus could do nothing without his father, what makes any of us think that we can? He did everything in dependence on his father. And by doing so, he revealed one of the biggest secrets of the Christian life, which is that spiritual growth requires reliance on God. Relationship with God requires reliance on God. You need to understand that Christianity is not a religion. I hate when people call it a religion because religion is a bunch of man-made rules and regulations that try to spell out for you all the things that you need to do to be good enough to earn God's favor and get into heaven. Christianity says you can never be good enough. It's not a religion. It's not rules. It's not regulation. It's about relationship with God that he made possible by sending Jesus to pay the price for our sin, which had separated us from him. And through faith in his sacrificial death and resurrection, we can be reconciled to our father who loves us so much and invites us to run boldly into his presence so we can receive grace and help in times of need. It's about relationship. Who do you rely on? What do you rely on? Is it God? Is it time with him? If not, are you willing to rearrange your schedule, your routine, to make the pattern and the habit of time alone with God every day your first priority? In John 15, 5, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Look at what he says next. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In the same way that Jesus could do nothing without his father, we need to understand that we can do nothing without him. So why do so many of us try Some of us here today have been following Jesus for 20, 30, 40 years and we're still frustrated that we're not closer to God and that's because we're trying in our own strength instead of recognizing, God, I rely on you. I need you for everything in my life. I need you more than the air I breathe. It's a relationship. Listen, what would happen if we, as a people, what would happen to your life, to your family? What would happen to our church If we patterned our lives to make relationship with God first priority, how different would your life look? How different would your relationship with God look and feel? How different would your family be? How much more purpose would you feel in your profession if you would just make it a priority to get alone with God every single day to hear his voice? Let me tell you the moment that you decide to do this, because listen, It's not about waiting until you feel something special to to do this. Right feelings follow right actions. The proof of desire is in the pursuit. A lot of people say they want a closer relationship with God, but they're not doing anything to pursue that. So right feelings follow right actions, and and our, our patterns can rewire our passions. So when you do this, your passion for God will begin to grow, but the moment you decide that you're gonna make this a priority, the enemy puts a target on your back. I want you to know you will experience resistance because the enemy is afraid of sons and daughters of the king who become confident in their identity in Christ, who they are in Christ and who Christ is in them. And he will do everything in his power to keep you from pursuing relationship with your heavenly father. 
Don't let them sidetrack you. Don't fall victim to the distractions. Because if it's not important to you, you continue to make excuses. And a year from now, five years from now, you'll still be whining about why you're not closer to God. If it's important to you, though, you'll make a way. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, I'm reminded this morning of what you spoke through the prophet Jeremiah. That said, when you seek me, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So God, right now, as sons and daughters, Lord, we, we want to know you more. We want to be closer to you. But I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us make a decision in this moment to stop making excuses for why we don't spend more time with you. And to make a decision that starting tomorrow, I'm going to rearrange my routine to prioritize relationship with you. And I pray that it would go beyond the weak attempts we've had at the past of, you know, New Year's resolutions where we start the year, we go to the gym for three weeks, but by February, the gym is empty again because people lost the motivation. Lord, this is not about motivation because discipline trumps motivation all day, every day. We want to implement a new discipline in our lives that rewires our passions And we want relationship with you. We want intimacy with you. We want more of your presence, more of your peace, more of your power in our lives. But it's going to require that we invest the time to get away with you, spend time with you, sit at your feet. So Lord, empower your people right now by your Holy Spirit to make this happen. Help them to sense your presence with them as they make this decision, as they go to bed tonight, maybe a little bit earlier than they usually do, and set their alarm earlier than they normally do. And Lord, would you meet with them in the morning? Would they hear your voice? Would they experience your presence? Change us, Lord. With all heads bowed and eyes closed, I don't want to pass up the opportunity to ask you that if there's anybody here that, man, what I described earlier describes you to a T. You've been going at a can't-stop, won't-stop pace that you recognize is unsustainable, and it has left you empty, stressed out, anxious. And maybe you're realizing because the Holy Spirit is showing you right now that what you've been chasing for in that that, that hurried pace of life, you're never going to obtain, and it's never going to result in the satisfaction and the fulfillment that you're longing for. And maybe you recognize that what you've been lacking for, what you've been waiting for, is simply a relationship with the one who made you and who knows why he put you on this planet. He wants to give you the fulfillment that comes from knowing God and discovering your purpose and walking in it. It's about relationship. And if you're ready to take the step to to enter into a relationship with Jesus, not to join a religion, you're not joining the church, this is about recognizing, man, I'm, I messed up. I've done some things in my life that has created separation and distance from me and God. And I'm ready to invite his presence into my life to forgive me. If that's you, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, will you raise your hand? Just boldly shoot it up in the air so we can pray with you and for you. I see that hand in the center. God bless you. I'm proud of you. Is there anybody else back there on the left? I'm proud of you. I see that hand. If you're watching, I see that hand on the right over here as well, close to the front. 
If you're watching online, you click the link in the comment section of whatever platform you're watching on. I see that other hand on the left over there. Spirit's moving. Those of you that are followers of Jesus, you be praying that people have the courage to respond to that prompting of the Holy Spirit right now. Is there anybody else? This is what I need. I need to surrender my life. Church, I don't want anybody praying alone, so will you join those who are responding to the Holy Spirit's invitation and that prompting to enter into a relationship with Jesus right now. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sin. Jesus, I need you. I'm a sinner. And I believe that's why you died. To pay for my sin. I'm tired of the rules. Tired of the regulations. I want you. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Cleanse me of all my sin. And give me the power to pattern my life after you. To follow you and serve you for the rest of my life. Jesus, I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, can we put our hands together and welcome those born into God's family today? Come on, the angels in heaven are throwing a party right now. We celebrate with them. New life here today. Listen, before any of you are dismissed, let me take a moment to Uh, address those of you that said yes to a relationship with Jesus. Can I be the first one to say congratulations on the most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life and welcome to the family of God. You're now our brother, our sister in the Lord, and and we're excited to come alongside of you on this journey. We want you to know that you're not in it alone, and uh, I would love to have you grab the green I've decided card in the seat back pocket in front of you where you can on the backside check the box that indicates the decision that you're making today. And on your way out, would you hand that to one of our Next Step team members that are standing in the welcome area that would love to give you some resources that will explain a little bit more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus and suggest some next steps that you may want to consider taking. Because the truth is this, that decision you just made, that prayer you just prayed was the first step of a relationship that will last you the rest of your life. We all have a next step to take and we want to come alongside of you to help you take some of those next steps. That's why we exist as a church, to help people know and follow Jesus step by step. But welcome to the family. We're excited to have you with us. Now, as our dream team members get into position to serve you with excellence on your way out, if there are anybody here today that is needing or wanting further prayer for something that you're going through in life right now, our prayer team is always available uh, to pray with you and to pray for you. We have a prayer room in the back right corner of the auditorium. Don't leave here today. If there's something that's heavy on your heart or that you're wanting somebody uh, to just pray with you about, we would love to do that. Uh, I encourage you to bring somebody back with you next week as we dive into habit number two. Uh, I'm excited about this journey that I think is going to transform our lives and really transform our church if we will commit to applying these disciplines and these practices to experience a heart fully alive. I love you so much, church. I hope you have an awesome week. God bless, and we'll see you next Sunday.